What's up, humans? It's your boy, Luke Rain, welcoming you back to the Human Music Podcast. This is episode 55. This week, we interview producer, DJ, and vocalist Torbjorn. He hails from the northwest of the U.S. and has extensive experience as both a musician and a music educator. Catch him every Monday night on his Twitch live stream, Base of the Mondays. We dive into the history of dubstep, differences between DAWs, transitioning from being in bands to being a producer and engineer, his favorite sound design and EQ techniques, and his latest tune, Tell Me, and the remix EP that just dropped for it. I got a track on there. Links are below. More links that are below are from our awesome sponsors. First, the weekly download, where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 220 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. Insane value from the producer dojo. Next up, guest practices from the Approach Institute, where you can learn from Seth Drake. He is the best engineer we know teaches super high-level mixing and mastering knowledge. Those gyms, you got to go get them. And uh, with guest practices, your first class is free. Next, Gangaroo Records Music Distribution, where you can get unlimited uploads for under $10. Get your tunes to all the goons with Gangaroo. All right, y'all, without further ado, let's get into the episode with Torbjorn. Yup. Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. What's up, humans, and welcome back to the Human Music Podcast. I'm Luke Rain. With me are my wonderful co-hosts, Rip Kinney and Tesco. We're super pumped hey. to be back, back live with you over the wires, Drew. doing our thing. And today we have a super cool guest that I'm really excited to have on. Um, super dope producer, DJ, vocalist, and probably much more, but that's what we're here to learn about. So Torbjorn, what's up, homie? We want to give you a chance to introduce yourself and tell the world your superhero origin story. What's up, Human Music Podcast, Luke Rain, Luke Rain, Luke Rain, Rip. Him Kim. too. <laughs> <laughs> and and Tesco, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, sir. You got Dude, it. you know Tesco's like a super famous uh, supermarket in the UK? I've only heard it from everybody uh, overseas. My friend actually, shout out my boy Lurkin Shadows. He brought me a reusable Tesco, uh, what are they called? Tote bags or whatever that you use for groceries. So, man, when I was uh, when I would go grocery shopping, I would get stopped occasionally. People would be like, oh, where? where'd you get that? It's so cool. So, <laughs> so yeah, shout out my boy you Lurkin should, Shadows. Yeah. You should you should get some sort of like endorsement deal to only play your beats <laughs> in their stores. See that I was thinking like we gotta work out something, man. But yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a UK right. audience you have to be like Bear Grime and drum and bass, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, hey, I'm sure we could work something out. I spent a couple of my college years living in the UK, so I'm just mad nostalgic for all the British stuff and 
I, of course, you heard that all the time. It's your artist name. That's my bad. I should know better. But yeah. Hey, all good though, man. Dude, <laughs> like funny, man. just throwing that out there as somebody that also did uh, some study abroad. If anybody's going to college, hands down, the best investment I made in college is doing study abroad. For sure. <laughs> it doesn't even cost that much more than just a regular ass going to college in the States. Hey, yeah. and a lot of their programs out there are three years instead of four. So you you paid less than the average state college and it's a year less as well, which is, uh, hey. like you said, the culture and all of that and coming to adulthood or whatever phase you are in your life and getting a new perspective. That's, can't put a price on that. Amen. Amen. Where in Britain were you at? I was in uh, Northwest. I was in Liverpool. All right. That's what's up. You know, home of the Beatles. Yeah. You know, Port City. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of history there. That's what's up, man. Sounds Tell like you had a blast, man. Oh, it was uh, good, man. Exactly like the Northwest here in a lot of ways. Just like hey. the freeze, the weather, the music, a lot of similarities. What was the music scene like? I was there, there from 2008 to 2013. So it was like right when dubstep was no longer an underground thing in England. Yeah. And your average DJ started recognizing like, oh man, people are dancing to this Casper track or whatever it was. That's like when I, the first time I could ever even go into a bar and drink, I got to do it a little bit early because they got lower drinking ages in the UK uh, than what we have in the States. So it was sick. And I had no idea. I was like coming from rock and punk and metal background and all this stuff. So I literally like every other, uh, you know, ignorant person in the club, I was like, wow, that guy's making that whole track on that mixer. That's amazing. He's (laughs) (laughs) amazing. Dude, that's, that's, I I have to say that is probably like the most interesting time to be in that sect of the world listening to that kind of music. Cause that was like right when like the original flair of dubstep was being overshadowed by like what they called, you know, tear out dubstep at the time was just more, more upfront sounds, just like more mid rangey based stuff. And then like Skrillex came up and like, I'm assuming everyone that you were hanging out with hated him at the time because, like, I, I, I've heard, I've only, I just watched a documentary on this actually, hilarious enough. Like, the sentiment was that, like, upfront, like, you know, tear out, they called it dubstep, was like kind of already seen as like kind of like too, not cheesy, but like too, too upfront, where like OG dubstep was like about the groove and like extending that groove. And it's like, it's like halftime techno ethos, right? Like really riding a groove and like accentuating that. And then like tear out dubstep came along and like, people were like, Oh yeah, this is cool. Like Rusko, that's cool. Like we like this stuff. It, you know, tears up the dance floor. So that's good. And then Skrillex came out and everyone was like all of a sudden associating dubstep with that sound, like really screechy stuff, like way in your face. And everyone there was like, this is not fucking dubstep you asshole. You ruined it for everyone. Was that all my homies hate Skrillex? Is that the documentary that you're referring to? Yes. And um, it's for anyone that likes dubstep, especially for uh, North American peeps and uh, producers, it's good to go back because the, it's like um, just a YouTuber that made that off his own dime in his own time, but it's really, really accurate and like really inclusive of a lot of different albums and a lot of like, Subgenres that never became household names like uh like purple dubstep it's called like purple yeah things that like 
when you're in the middle of a scene, I imagine all of us have been making beats through this like half, quote unquote halftime movement. We know that it's like all oh, the saturate sound or you have the wormhole sound or you have left field and or you have UK halftime and kind of know the intricacies. It gets into that um, in all of the intricacies of the different subgenres of dubstep, which was tight because I didn't get that stuff at the time. I wasn't into production and dance music enough um, while I was there to understand those intricacies. I just remember being a rock guitar player, going to a bar, and then the show was over and a DJ got on. And then I heard this build up in Where's My Money? And that was the first one for me, Casper, Where's My Money? Even all the the rock kids I was hanging out with at the time were like, this slaps. We're dancing to this. Even though we came for the indie yeah. rock guys with pointy shoes playing their Moog synthesizer and a Telecaster, um, that was like the first crossover that I was like, shit, I should start figuring out how to do this. And then why I was asking you, Luke, about Reason is that was the first app that I got. Someone was like, uh, it was a hip hop producer friend of mine was like, I think the synths and Reason are the dopest of like what comes with the DAW. You should start there. Man, that still might be the case, man. I mean, as far as like, there's definitely Reason, you know, like any DAW's got mad blind spots, but you know, what it really puts out front is it's cool, like, you know, modular physical rack design and the fact that it's just got so many sick stock instruments just off top uh definitely definitely big fan of it for both of those things but then i watch some of my homies or ill gates do some wizardry in ableton i was like okay let me like reverse engineer how to get close to that type of routing in reason so i can kind of do that thing <laughs> and most of the time i'm able to but sometimes it's like oh shit nope <laughs> that would that just breaks my dog okay i guess not <laughs> 128s out of the question <laughs> yep but then there's there's tools and there's presets and there's little tricks and stuff that you have on reason that we just don't have access to in that same way on ableton so it's like everyone's got their own strength you know what i'm saying yeah That's exactly i feel like and not in a judgmental way like i totally fuck with your music luke but i feel like i'm gonna listen to that stuff and have a whole your your stuff and have a whole different perspective now of like how those sound designs came to be because uh, amen man yeah i'm i'm stoked now and it's been so long since i've been on reason i might have to ask you some questions sometimes yeah, bro, you come through whenever repatch those synths into into other daws and stuff too mm -hmm. might be time for some old reason nostalgia yeah man come through whenever what you want, made you switch over initially i just i just never got i i never i stepped away from all the beat making stuff uh when i left england because i didn't get very far in it and i quickly realized that i like didn't wasn't grasping what dubstep was to the community at the time I was like showing some friends some stuff and they're like, I mean, it's cool, but it's not like no one's going to DJ this. You just made it. You're a rock musician and you made a cool track with reason. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Hey, man. But then Gosh. again, you know, you take that to the nth degree and all of us, I mean, like same with Skrillex, right? He was like, he was probably messing with some weird shit that wasn't quite clicking for anybody. And then he melded it with dubstep and it went to the moon. And, you know, so it's like, Finding finding that path around, like, you know, we've talked about that on this podcast a lot before. Like, if you're only showing up and making exactly what everybody else is making on the scene, yeah, people can DJ your cut, but they won't know it's you or care or remember that it was you. But yeah. if you get that thing where it evokes that emotion, even if it's half of the world hates you for it, but the other half fucking turns up to your shit, like, that's going to get you remembered. For sure. It is a fine line, though, between being like, 
uh, a disruptor and just being disruptive. And I think <laughs> that's probably how they view Skrillex. Like, I think a lot of styles like across dance music and rock and pop and you name it have come from England to North America. And then whoever like was the person that made it become a thing in our neck of the woods was just the person that made it the most shocking. And I think Skrillex is like totally an example of yeah. that. He was just like, all right, let's see how loud we can make this. And hey, man, he got my attention. Man. Yeah. And oh, it, it still is a vibe. I, I don't listen to that as much now because it makes me feel really old. <laughs> listen. <laughs> um, but yeah, mad respect to that and all of the stuff that spawned off of that too. Like um, the sound that became like Excision and Zomboy. And I don't put those records on a lot, but I think they're super dope. 100%. So what was kind of the next step uh, to tie it back to the to the origin story? Like, this seems like a pretty significant part of your journey. So how did you take it from, you know, where you were at that time, kind of to present day now? And, and how would you say your music has evolved to get to the point where it's at now? I still, for a really long time, thought it was going to be guitars and uh, singing. And I knew, like, the more that I did that, I was starting to play with some... Uh, get involved with some other post-rock kind of themed projects and stuff like that, getting more synthesizers, getting more digital sounds involved. Um, but it was really, really hard to tour. It was several years of touring with a band of five and not making any money and stinky dudes in a van and all of those good memories. And I finally was like, I need to just focus on producing. Like that was always my job, like play the instrument and then be the studio guy. And um, I realized at one point I was like, more people are asking me to be the studio guy then venues are asking this band to come get paid to play. So let me take a step back and do that. And um, I still wanted to compose and write. And a friend of mine from up here in the Seattle area, shout out Cosmo, an OG, uh, bass music, future bass, halftime, you name it, every type of dance music, really OG producer and DJ from up here in the Seattle area. He was like, you need to stop trying to do this on Pro Tools. You need to do something that has more of the instruments built into it I was like, oh, is it going to be reason or is it going to be logic or whatever? And he was like, no, screw all that. Let me just train you up on Ableton. You already do all the music production stuff. You understand mics and sound physics and acoustics and blah, blah, blah. Let's get you to bone up on synthesis. Let's get you to bone up on drum sequencing and sampling and like see where that goes. And that was probably in about 2014 that I got uh, a copy of Ableton and really hit it hard for like the next three years. And in 2016, I think next two years, I should say 2016, I think was the first label that picked me up on a compilation. And that was shadow tricks music based out of LA. And that was kind of when I was like, Oh shit, I don't need to be in a band and I can just write all these songs myself. And this is tight and people are fucking with it. And if I still want to play guitar someday or sing someday, I'll do that and cut to now. And that's what I'm doing in a lot of my beats. Badass, super dope. Yo, so tell us, so, um, tell us about that that yeah, first like label situation. Like, how did that come about? You know, did you did you solicit for it? Did you have a connection? What what brought that up? I was following a couple friends around who were already DJing at some smaller festivals and gatherings. Call it like five to a thousand capacity events with like one decent main stage. And maybe a side stage. Um, organic festival comes to mind. Early days of the unts, which actually was probably bigger than what I just described. Um, 
a missions festival. And then off the back of a missions festival, just going as a patron, as a ticket holder, um, in supporting some friends and stuff like that. Um, off the back of a missions came, um, camp question mark, which is a camp at burning man. Um, I got to, uh, get involved in volunteer there. And it was after kind of like my face started showing up as those things, uh, at those events and, um, sort of me just being seen in social circles as some other people that were already doing that, I think was the difference maker. Cause I know it's really hard to get that placement when you're a stranger to the label and their whole community. Sometimes you can get through if you've got a really, really strong track, but I think that was like really what tipped the scale um, for Shadow Tricks considering my song for that application was because they had met me, um, Andrew, which is one of the label A&R, and Trevor, which I think is the other founder of Shadow Tricks Music. They had met me with people that had already been released by the label. I was super fortunate to have friends that were already doing it in that way. And um, and I think for anyone who listening who feels like they're on the outside of the fence in that regard, I think that that always that first placement always seems like the roughest one. And then that once you, once you get it and you will get it, uh, if you keep trying, then like that really starts to tip the scales and make you seem like a legitimate person rather than just like another kid with a SoundCloud account. Yeah. You get to be cool by association. Just like, Oh, just by the way, they already released one of my singles and here's another one that I'd be willing to work with you guys. Like, Oh word. Those people we respect, respect you. Well, then we must respect you. There's yeah, it's definitely guilty by association. Um, and I think that taught me firsthand that it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, and after that, I've like really made way more of an effort to get outside of my introverted self and just make sure that people in the community, whether or not there's an ulterior motive of, I want to get signed to your label or you're just another person that I know that makes music and probably has the same hopes and dreams as me, like always make that effort to just be known as like a friend. You know what I'm saying? And it, it's, it's like never ceased to amaze me how many dope things have happened from just making that effort to know and like talk to as many people as possible. I mean, shit, dude, the reason you're here right now is because it was my first time ever on CDJs and I was about to open for, ill gates and i had there was like some issue where the sound was just repeating ad nauseum i was like ah what do i do and you walked in you're like oh no worries just here i'll help you figure this out you just hit this button and then don't hit it again and we became we became homies we made sure to like you know (laughs) exchange contact i did that remix contest and then now here you are you know like so wherever you're trying to go other people other people are are the best way to get there yeah building good relationships that was a minute ago, but you threw down a dope set, Luke. That was a good hey, show. Thank you, man. You too, man. That That's was a vibe. Do you, do, you, do you remember what was happening on the CDJ? Was it like an emergency, Luke? Uh, it was, was like it? the, the not the in and out, but on the, on the CDJ 2000 Nexus 2s, there's like a touchscreen mm-hmm. button that just starts a loop and it'll start like yep. a, a half bar loop or a one bar loop or like whatever. And I think someone just accidentally brushed the touchscreen and it just started going over and over. And there's like one button that will turn that off. It's like a stop loop or whatever next to the in and out. And I think even I for a second was like, dude, what is happening right now? This is nuts. Oh shit, let's hit this button. All right, we're cool. Yeah, it's like, all right, nobody hit that button. (laughs) Yeah, Nobody hit that again. We're good. That's awesome. Especially for like your first time DJing on CDJs in a club like that is 
That is nightmare material if you don't have the boy Jorborn in there to fucking save the day. You're just like, the the stress that hits you as soon as you realize you don't know what's happening and you don't know how to fix it and you're running out of time to fix it. Yeah. That is... I mean, how could you not become friends after that? You basically saved his night. That's amazing. Dude, it's yeah. all... Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's all part of the game. You got to help people and... Just be a be a Gandalf to the community and be there for everyone you can in every way you can. Yeah. yeah. Be a Gandalf yeah. to the community. I like the that. wizard always arrives yeah. right on time, right? <laughs> and there you there you were. I was like, all right, cool. Everything's working. I'm figuring out how to plug all these in. Yeah, totally. That cable right here. Everything's going. Then as soon as it's like, and I'm out of my depth. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you walked in the door like, oh, <laughs> let me help you figure that out. Okay, so yeah, so we've gotten up through 2016, your first release. Um, you put out an album in 2017 um, and another in 2018, actually. But I want to start with that first one. So um, first of all, I fucking love that album. There are some good ass tunes on that. Which one are you talking um, about, kids these days? Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm gonna sound so, so like snooty right now, like push my glasses up on my nose. And actually, um, both of those releases with Shadow Tricks were intended as EPs, and so many homies hopped on the remixes. Uh, and I didn't realize this until it was too late that Spotify like calls it an album. So I've like I've long since had this idea in my head that it, I'm gonna release my first album like 15 years into my like dance music or electronic music production career. So I'm gonna have to figure out <laughs> figure out the messaging on that or whatever because I feel like they were EPs, but Spotify calls them albums. Um, well, the the one in 2018 was like you know six tracks in a remix, which you know is still I would still consider an an album. You know anything more than four songs, like you, you get away with calling it an album. The first one though, the one in 2017, um, it was like. 12 songs, yeah, I think it was eight it? of mine and three remixes. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but dude, I I absolutely love that album. I think that for um for like a kind of left field bass, like sound design heavy, like interesting grooves with like really like dope sound. Like I think you absolutely nailed it. What kind of drew you to a you know, putting together a bigger body of work at the time, um, and and be like, how did how did your sound evolve to that point from the rock background? Um, I was. Let me think here. Right before I was like, started producing electronic music, and I had gotten a copy of Ableton. I did a small stint at a studio in like a rural area outside of Seattle where I was engineering um, for a bunch of hip hop producers. So other people were making the beats. And I think that influenced kind of like the first type of sounds um, that I was regularly hearing that like came from a drum machine or came from like 808 sample pack or something like that. Um, and that was kind of like Migos era hip hop, some very like leaned out sounding like Zand out sounding trap stuff. So I think that was kind of laid the, the, the base for like what I was most familiar with and could make quickly in Ableton. And then the next thing that I heard after that was Ivy lab. 
And I was like, this is really tight. This yeah. is like all of the like yeah. MF Doom era, um, like Jay Dilla era, like hip hop beats, but like really maximized sonically. And I was like, I really want to make stuff like this for these rappers. That studio gig ended. And then I kind of was like, all right, I need to figure out what to do with all these half-baked, like Ivy Lab kind of-esque sounding beats. And then I got a copy of Serum for the first time. And that's where all the bass sounds came from, like lots of deep exploration into that, starting with presets and tweaking them, trying to make my own wavetables, like whatever YouTube tutorials were available out there or like homie that blessed me with some knowledge of like, yo, bro, FM from B, let's go. <laughs> Made me like, <laughs> kind of realize like what you could start doing. And a bunch of mud pies later, little chops of that ended up being um, the majority of that album that was originally I thought was going to be like drums and 808s and like one other sample and a rapper. Sure. Okay. That's kind of, that's kind of a cool evolution because listening to it, it felt very intentional. It didn't feel like it started as one thing and then became another. So that's, that's actually really interesting to hear. Um, so, you know, being someone that, uh, you know, I would have to say like the, the sounds that you've, came up with on those first two albums. Uh, sorry, EPs. <laughs> I'm the snooty one. Um, You're all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, are, are actually some of the, some of my personal favorite sounds that I've heard from, from guests that we've had on this show in a while. So I really wanted to take the opportunity to, uh, as a sound design nerd and aficionado myself, kind of dive into the nitty gritty of um, sound design. Like what are, what what kind of techniques were you using back then, if you remember? And like, what what kind of stuff are you diving into now? What excites you in in the sound design realm nowadays? Hmm. I think that um. Yeah, great question, man. I think that like I've I started with like I started wanting to make. I, I guess you you could probably say like Eprom and G Jones were maybe like the in that era were like the big sound design guys, at least that I was aware of that was making everybody go like, Oh shit. At every drop. Yeah. I think it was I like mean, me still <laughs> very true. true. Shouts to those guys for constantly pushing the sound forward. Um, I think that was my like very young and green attempt at trying to do stuff like that. And with, with serum and the limited knowledge that I had at the time and I think I just, I got lucky with a couple of those songs on those, really on those first two EPs that I did with Shadow Tricks Music. I got really lucky that I had uh, time for, for a lot of trial and error and didn't rush them out that much. And there's a handful of songs from both of those records that got cut. And I feel really grateful with the studio background that I had to know to write more um, than what you're going to want to put out. And so I still listen back to those and think like, man, I really could VIP this song or remaster that song or whatever and still feel really stoked about it. But at the same time, I think that if I'm going to go back and try to relive any of the past songs that I put out, um, which I may do at some point, it'll be to like serve the original purpose that I thought it was going to be, which was to be the music bed for a vocalist, except now I'm like finally confident enough to be the vocalist. That's sure. what's up. And uh, that definitely segs, segs into your journey as a vocalist like you know how early did you start thinking about becoming a vocalist and what how long and what was the journey like for you to get the confidence that you currently have i um 
I started singing when I started playing guitar in high school and I was really into like punk and thrash metal and ska and all this stuff. So it was always like, just very, like you had to be a big personality in all of those styles of music. And the guys that I idolized that were doing that, uh, that I looked up to as a kid, um, kind of paved the way. Think about like at the drive-in Mars Volta, um, tool system of a down. Like those are like not unconfident vocalists. You know what I mean? So that was, that was kind of the model. Um, but definitely as my career moved on to more of like a, a hip hop centric thing that took like a really, really long time for me to actually spit a verse or a hook in that style um, that I wanted to like show anyone. Cause the first couple tries that I, um, that I produced or like, you know, tried to produce for something totally got shot down by all my friends. They're like, wow, you sound really Caucasian and you're rhyming every line and you're like everything on the beat. And I was like, okay, I need to do way more research and listen to different music and understand this culture and in the background of this before I try to actually do it. Um, so fortunate to be able to engineer for a lot of hip hop artists and fortunate that a lot of different people from different communities have come through my studio and been gracious enough to give me some good game, either through me just reverse engineering what they're doing or them actually listening to my stuff and give me some feedback and whatnot. And, um, in 2018, I think it was 2018, I started, I like finally got the team together and started a hip hop group and uh, produced a couple singles with my buddy Joseph and our group is called Grandmasters. Um, we're kind of like some sort of like West Coast bass, like trap, uh, hip hop fusion stuff. Um, that was like the first couple singles we put out, like big distorted 808 drops but still like conscious um, kind of Ivy Lab-esque beats with us like rapping over it and stuff like that. That's been really fun, but that project has gone in a whole other direction. And I don't know, that might be a whole other podcast talking about, <laughs> talking about that group. Um, but back to like the original punk rock stuff that I grew up on, I really was like, I should probably sing on these first couple tracks because I know I've done that for a long time. I've toured as a guitar player with a microphone in front of me um, for years. So the songs that I put out in um, the first quarter of this year were all me sort of like going back to that before I'm going to start rapping on uh, a Torbjorn track. I feel like I kind of got to ease things in because it's very different than what I've put out in the past. It's like a lot of zigging and zagging stylistically here and trying to figure out how to like rein it all in into like one universe, you know? Amen. So would you say um, the rap hip hop kind of stuff is what's been inspiring you as a recent mainly for the vocal stuff or kind of where's your head at with that kind of stuff? Is it, is it just as simple as I want to go in this direction? Or are you looking at other influences too, to supplement that? Um, and just, yeah, I mean, any vocal game or like any cool, you know, realizations that you've had, um, anything like that, like, I'd love to hear kind of, you know, um, any like level ups that you've had vocally. For sure. I think that um, to to answer your question properly, sorry, I'm like all over the place, ADD, like jumping. One hey, that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, literally what we're built for. The Human ADD Podcast. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think moving forward, what's inspiring me right now is like the same level of craft that I'm sure all of us put into like our sound design and little details and having thematic things across tracks and albums, doing the vocal version of that. Uh, mm. 
I've I've talked about um, MF Doom. I mentioned his name earlier is a big influence and in, um, like Aesop Rock. Uh, Henri Osborne is a local rapper from up here in Seattle who I've been really fortunate um, to be a part of helping him with some tech stuff on his new album release and just kind of like studying into all these people that I know either from my community or just from like things that have fallen in my lap. Um, I know that people who are lyricists first put that same level of like just culture and existence and lore into like their whole story of every word that they say and are conscious about that the same way that I am sonically when I'm like sound designing for a song. And so that's kind of the next thing that I want to do is be able to like get my skills up in, in that realm and have people care about the lyrics and hearing one song and realizing that it references something from three albums ago and characters that I've made up and, you know, all these kind of things. I'm really inspired by that um, lyrically. My one tip that I've learned from writing songs and then singing on them after is that uh, every person has like a vocal range that they sing best in. And I've definitely been writing some songs that are a little too low for me and some other songs that are a little too high for me because I start with the beat a lot of times. And I know that writing a song in like F sharp minor, I'm going to be able to hit all those intervals in the scale and the 808 is going to slap on every sound system that the beat plays on. Then I finish that and write vocals to it. And I'm like, shit, it's really hard to sing, bro. <laughs> it's really hard to hit that high note. <laughs> um, so I think that's something that I'll be more conscious of is like not having to like minus eight luffs that 808, but for the sake of me being able to give a better vocal performance. Totally. Yeah, one thing, one thing that Tesco turned me on to like a couple episodes ago is like in your preparatory sessions, um, like start instead, you know, like we all sound design, we all write chords, we all make drum beats and all that stuff. But like in a prep session, like make yourself an acapella to start with. Like, and I had, I had never thought to do that. Like, it seems so simple, but like all of my favorite songs with vocals in them started because like I had the vocal to work with and then that's my starting point and the whole song like comes together as this like really great cohesive bit like when i'm doing my own vocals on something it's like you make the you make a rough draft you bounce it you you know you sing on it and then you try and work it together but like all of that stuff in one session it's just really creatively intensive um and and vocals just take a long time you got to do a lot of takes you got to comp it you got to like get a pro layer it you got to get a processing chain working that doesn't sound like such garbage that you can't continue to work on the song because it's annoying you and so like just writing some chords that interest you and then making an acapella and then using and then just deleting the chords starting with that acapella and making a song has been something that i feel personally like is a is a really great way for someone that wants to put the care and attention into the vocals and the beat as as equal parts like you were just talking about it, it makes a ton of sense to me to do it like that um but yeah so i wanted to i wanted to ask you about um like your vocal processing um it's it's definitely one of the things that i think a lot of producers struggle the hardest with and especially 
combined with using your own voice, starting from scratch completely dry, and then getting them processed to sound good and getting a good take. Like it's a lot, it's a lot to handle. So um, like, what is, what is your, your processing chain look like in general? Like, how did you, how did you learn to process vocals? Well, just kind of touch on that kind of stuff. I think that um, there's, there's a couple different ways to go about it depending on the song. And I think all of us being people that are like loosely within uh, the electronic music or like digital music realm, I would say that there's probably a spectrum of like someone with no effects who's like a really, really good singer working well on like a pop dance track all the way up to um, like Humanoid 2.0, like literally a voice that came from a synthesizer. And um, so like understanding where your approach is on that spectrum, I think is the important starting point because the tools might be the same, but the order that you use them or the approach or the settings might change uh, a lot. I think that um, the three songs that I've most recently released uh, with this exception of like one vocal sound design section that was an outro on my song, Seen a Ghost, I took like a really straight ahead, uh, like acoustic, I guess you could say, um, approach where I was really trying to make it sound like me singing without anything else, but pulling out all of the like pop tricks to make me uh in tune, but not so in tune that I'm like T-pained out or Kanye'd out with auto-tune, like getting the pitch right with Melodyne, but making that transparent or subtle enough to where it doesn't seem like I can't actually hit that note or you know what I'm saying or whatever the case. Um, doing things like pretty heavy compression, um, but counteracting that by pulling the output volume back. So it's just creating the effect that I'm closer to the mic rather than being like really squashed and squishy from, you know, like 10 decibels of gain reduction or something like that, doing a lot more reductive EQing, um, than additive EQing with the exception of maybe some like high mids or high boost to kind of give like an airy effect. Um, yeah, that air is clutch. I feel like most, uh, most, um, amateur engineers lose that. I know I used to just not get how much that air is vital to a, a modern sounding vocal recording. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you want ever you want that voice to, in most cases, you want that voice to sit in front of a lot of the other noise. That's how a lot of the other sound that's happening in that track. And so sometimes like artificial boosts at three K or boosts at eight K or whatever, um, with your EQ are going to be the thing that's going to help it cut through. But even then, um, there's a point when that becomes like audible. You can hear that it's a very bright vocal and, and maybe most people don't listen to recordings that way. Um, but I know some of my friends do and we hyper analyze each other's mixes and all of that stuff and are just constantly in pursuit of the best version that we can. Um, but EQing the biggest thing that changed the game for me with uh, vocal processing is pro Q three, the fab filter plugin. They add hey. dynamic, uh, dynamic volume changes so that you can choose if something uh, gets to be a certain loudness, say like a sibilant S sound, you can choose to just turn that down when it gets too loud, as opposed to like a compressor, which would turn the sound of the whole track down. You can like really go in and finitely be like, man, when I say the word well, there's this weird frequency in the L that I don't like but I don't want to cut that 200 Hertz down because then it starts to sound thin in the rest of the track. You can use that dynamic EQ option 
to just like get it to be exactly that little volume dip in that exact frequency only when it gets too loud. I'm sure that's yeah. old to you guys, but to anyone out there listening that's like trying to up their game with EQing, Pro Q3 is the shit. Yeah, dynamic totally. EQ is a game changer for sure. It turns every EQ band you have into a possible compressor just for that band. And that, you know, so you can really shape it and really get granular with it. Um, for people that maybe can't afford or don't know if they want to make the investment in something as expensive as Pro Q3, and again, I recommend it. Um, there's like F6, uh, the F6 floating point EQ from Waves is much more uh much more affordable oh hey <laughs> Bye, no worries that f6 floating point eq from waves is much more affordable but the problem is you've only got six bands whereas pro q gives you what like 29 so if you really got a shape of vocal <laughs> that that high yeah, amount just, of but just put another one on there just put another just one keep on there. stacking them yeah, five F. Well, I mean, how many times? But how many times do you need thirty bands of EQ? That's true. Though? If if you're if you're falling into that, uh, you might just want to rethink your uh, your whole signal chain before it got into the DAW. Some, Maybe you need a better else. mic, better room, et cetera, et cetera. Totally, totally. You might you might not need thirty, but you might need more than six. And I know F six has like a yeah. linear phase version too. So as you stack a, a couple EQs in a row. If that's what it comes to, you're gonna like keep your, uh, you know, your frequency spectrum intact and your phase intact and stuff if you have to. So, I forgot about F6. That's a, a dope, like budget conscious alternative for sure. Yeah, it gives you it, it gives you what you need. It doesn't break the bank. You know, every once in a while, I'll still use it in a place I feel like it. It's a little less heavy on my CPU. So, in a place where I know I've only got to do like one or two bands for sure. I might pull that out instead of the Pro Q, but overall, I just I really like the I really like the interface of the Pro Q three a lot better. Like just like the way the way the controls work, the way it's intuitive, the GUI, I I really like that Pro Q three. Plus, it's really easy to you know only you know only affect the mid or only the side or only the left or right if if it's like a stereo sample that oh man that something's really piercing in the right ear. Just let me pull that back like. There's so much flexibility with that Pro Q through three. Yep. Amen. Um, so one thing I just kind of want to bring it back to, because um, listening to your journey so far, I really empathize with, you know, a lot of the points. And, and um, the last three years of my music journey have been really similar, you know, getting into the vocals, starting with singing, feeling hella Caucasian about it, doing a lot of training to get better at it, you know, diving deeper into hip hop and rapping and, and, and working on my voice in that way. And, and, um, you know, I feel like I went through a lot of the same kind of, um, struggles as, as you did, you know, if you want to say that when it comes to vocals and, you know, some things, uh, that I noticed, um, that, that were very foreign to me, um, when it came to expressing myself, uh, on the mic was like what I'm actually saying and the lyrics and saying it confidently and like, you know, realizing I wasn't using descriptive language and I was using really weak rhymes and I wasn't doing no compound rhymes or eternal rhymes or any other like tools at my disposal to, to kind of get that across because everything was very instrument based. And so I'm curious if you've had um, 
you know, any areas as you were developing vocals that felt kind of out of your range, out of your element and like what kind of breakthroughs you've had um, throughout your journey so far and like how you kind of went addressing those those like kind of weak spots. It's a it's a handful of like um, it's a handful of pieces of, of like technical advice that have helped me just if you think about your voice and like what makes up how you make sound with your voice, you've got all these different, you know, organs and your throat and your tongue and all these things. And, uh, even down to like how your, your cheekbones are, or like what you might be saying the letter a, but if you say it, making your face, the shape of an E, it will be a different tone of saying the letter a, how in, in all these different little intricacies, um, I, I've worked with a couple people in the studio who have really graced me with some like good game in terms of that. Um, one that I always remember is like an O sound with your mouth is going to be a duller, darker sound and an A or an E sound is going to be a brighter sound. So I try to kind of think about that as a spectrum and like how you guys can understand, of course, creatively, like when you would want to have a darker or a brighter sound, there's many things that you can do artistically with that knowledge, but being conscious of like, where am I on that O to E spectrum? And, um, and is my chin forward? Is my chin back? You're going to get a brighter or a darker tone with your voice from doing things like that. Um, all the way down to more like stylistic things. My friend, uh, Caleb Germain gave me this advice uh, a couple months ago that really sat with me. He's like, man, he's like, you're hitting all the notes and you're saying all the lyrics, but you just sound like you care way too much. We're like writing this like heartbreak, like kind of pop song, like missing you quarantine sort of theme theme thing. And he was like, you just sound like you're, you're just like way too into what you're saying. And this is supposed to be like this, this like sad, like hopeless kind of thing. Like stop caring so much sound like you don't want to be here or something. And as soon as I had that, you know, that weird, again, subjective kind of like creative mindset change and started to like kind of slack jaw a little bit, not worry about my pitch, uh, you know, being intonation, being on pitch as much all of a sudden then as we, we were getting the takes that like fit the style of the song that we were trying to create. That's so lit. That yeah. Cool. That's lit. I really, I really like that advice. Like, because when it comes down to it, so much of why people love a vocal performance is because it's such a powerful conveyor of emotion and attitude. And, you know, like you mentioned, like you can you can nudge something back in with Melodyne or a similar pitch correction software where you're just like, oh, well, I was like 25 cents sharp on that note. But my attitude and my timing was so good. It doesn't matter. Just nudge it back into place. But the the way you said the words matched what the words were conveying and the overall aesthetic of the song in a way that was a perfect storm. Yep. It is that X factor or vibe or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think, too, depending on what is accompanying you, um, sometimes Melodyne, that 25 cent Melodyne fix, it like might be worse. If you're accompanied by synthesizers and things that have perfect pitch and are exactly a G sharp or whatever, like, yes, you, you want to be in tune with that. But if you're playing an acoustic guitar, that's going to, from the heat or the cold in the room, going to get a little bit out of tune here or there. Some of those imperfections are like important to that vibe as well. Sometimes 
Yeah, agreed. Do you want to do you want to talk a bit about that point on embracing perfection? Because that is another really huge uh, breakthrough for me personally. I felt I avoided for years, and I see with a lot of students, they want things to be perfect, and you know, you always want things to be to the best of your ability. Um, I'd love to hear about your experience with kind of embracing that and how you make it work to your advantage. I think that anyone that has the the like spectrum OCD to want their recording to be perfect um, is like someone who fundamentally is, is okay in my book. So long as you like, you get to that point of your journey and you're like, oh yes, I did this. And I'm putting the flag on the top of Mount Perfect. And now I have learned that none of this matters, but I know I can do it for when the song calls for it. But now it's time to go make it, everything out of time and out of tune and fuck it up and you know, give it whatever some other type of vibe I think is like the logical next step. And I can say that because that was my experience being like a, a student of uh, music production and sound engineering. Really sound engineering first uh, comes from science. And in math and science, we have these like perfect answers. But when science and math pairs something creative, you got to throw some of those perfect answers out the window because not everyone's going to turn up to that track if it's if it's quote unquote perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah, she can sound too totally. sterile. For I remember sure. I remember sitting with a guitar player friend of mine and we were listening to some like old, old Stevie Wonder record or something. And there's this moment in the intro that the bass player is jamming out and the and the bass string buzzes against the fret super tough. But then he just keeps playing. And it's like, you know, it was the 60s. So, you know, you like had one take at that time. You know, it was hard to multi-track and shit. So they just rolled with it. And but that guitar player friend is like, oh, you hear that moment? Like that buzz, that's James Jamerson on the bass. And he's just going so ham that it's just like buzzes. That's like my favorite part of this whole song. That little extra buzz. It just makes me remember that's a real dude playing a real bass with real emotion and a real moment. It's like, oh man, that's, I never thought of it that way. You know, I never really thought of, of that buzz one way or the other, but to hear his reaction to that imperfect imperfection that imperfect moment in the track was powerful a a reminder that the humanity of it the imperfection the the striving to make it as good as it can and the ultimate impossibility of actual perfection is part of what people love about art totally imperfections and human nature is relatable to us imperfect humans amen Welcome to the Human Music Podcast, where ain't shit perfect, but we roll anyways. <laughs> Yo, I want to make sure we talk um, about some of this newer stuff, including your super dope track, Tell Me, and this remix contest that just happened. And uh, by the time people are actually listening to this in the world, we'll have just come out last Friday, the remix EP. Yeah. Hey. Dude, I, uh, well, obviously, Luke, uh, one of the remix contest winners, how we're connected in in doing this podcast. Big up, man, for this. The way that you flipped that was like really, really cool. And in a way, I would have never expected it. And in a way that I was like really moved by. You have probably had people remix your song before. Sometimes it's like totally out of left field and like not at all what you expected. They changed the, the genre and the tempo and the key and all this stuff. And then sometimes it's like, all right, you put like different drums on it and hit the reverse sample button or something like that. And, you know, all across the spectrum, but very few times do I like 
have I had someone remix one of my songs that I would have been heard it and just was like, I would have never done that writing this song. And it's like, just was super cool, man. So big ups to you for your interpretation of that. I was just really moved by it. And um, Luke Rain, of course, we've got Chef Womp. Uh, Friend of the podcast. Super, super dope remix from him. Ethan was just on my live stream base of the Mondays the other week as a featured artist. Super stoked to have him with an exclusive mix on there. We've also got Thread and Glorilla were the other two uh, remix contest winners. So May 7th is when the EP drops. Spotify, SoundCloud, Audius, Pandora, probably all that good stuff. Yeah, so this episode's dropping on the 11th. So that's out right now, y'all humans listening in the future times. You can get it now. <laughs> hey, guess what? There's a link right down there in the description that'll take you right there. Oh, tight. I've never been on that side of the there's a link in the description. There will be when this video comes out. It feels very privileged, man. Right? You get you got you got advanced information nice. that nobody's got. Totally. But yeah, man. Um, dude, the like, you know, speaking of like the vocal on that track is super dope, super clean, very emotive, and that whole track has a vibe. And um, so let's before we like dive into the the remixes a little more. Uh, let's I want to talk about that original track. How did it come about? Um, what what's the story there? Last summer, everyone's dealing with quarantine for the first time, and all of us were looking forward to festivals and touring and just good summer vibes. And mm-hmm. none of us got it. And at the time, my girlfriend Jacqueline and I were separated. Grateful and thankful to say we're back together Ooh. and everything's awesome. And everything's better uh, that she's back in my life. Shout out, Jacqueline. But I was dealing with some of those feelings and just a bunch of other feelings of like isolation and being alone and and just kind of what it meant to have to look at yourself in the mirror every day because there's no one else to look at. And um, I realized sitting on piano, working through the chords and working through the lyrics that I was getting this kind of this kind of middle ground of being specific enough to where I felt like anyone hearing the song could feel like it was about them, but being broad enough to where I feel like anyone could think that this song was about them or something that they had experienced, but not so broad that it didn't mean anything at all. And of course, with like a very universal topic of isolation and loneliness, I think this is like, the time in uh, our lifetimes that pretty much everyone is feeling that at the same time, but for a lot of different reasons. And I've had people talk to me about those lyrics of saying like, man, it's really great that you um, kind of like brushed on the topics of what's happening with political protesting and police brutality protest- protesting. And I've had other people say it's really interesting um, that you're speaking out about what it is to have to socially distance for health reasons And the truth is that it really, from me, it was not about any of those things, but I'm just really glad that I was able to, like I said, capture a vibe that enough people felt like it was their story and what they needed the song to be about. And I think that's my favorite part about what that song had become in terms of like the lyrics and the story. That's really cool, man. Uh, I've heard, I've heard it like argued um, by these authors uh, that art all art is like a love triangle first the artist has a relationship with the work of art 
and that has meaning. And then that art goes out into the world and has relationships with the audience. And the people who have the relationship with the art but didn't make it have a completely different relationship. So there's some similarities, there's differences in interpretation and effect. And at a certain point, you know, not only is that something you've just got to accept as an artist, like, okay, cool, other people took away different things, but you can even celebrate that like you're doing right here, which I think is awesome. I think that that's an important stage in a piece of art, especially if you're someone that uses um, whatever your art medium is as like documentation of kind of your own psyche or your own human experience. I think that's an important phase in the creation process that you like give that up to everyone else. It becomes like not your property, but it becomes like everyone's property. And um, yeah, that's something that can be hard to do too. I definitely baby a lot of my music and think about it way too much and want people to feel a certain way about it. Um, But letting go of that has been like a breath of fresh air for sure. And definitely getting some of the best feedback on the music I've been writing this last year um, in comparison to any other music I've made like my whole life. I feel like I'm getting people saying like, wow, that's really honest and really like vulnerable and really all the way down to technical stuff. I had someone tell me like, man, your use of like stereo field space and like reverb and delays and stuff is like nothing I've ever heard from you. It's like really, really cool to see the evolution of that. And so um, I'm just glad that the effort is paying off because it takes a lot of time to in uh, to sit down and sound design and study and educate yourself and work through tutorials and write like those hundred bad beats until you get that one really, really good one. Um, and I feel like this song might be that hundredth beat after 99 attempts the year leading up to it. So I'm stoked that everyone's like resonated with it in the way that they have. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's powerful lyrics and, you know, like you said, just face value. It's, it's got the power. It's got, you know, the intrigue there. It, it makes me want to know more about the story and listen to the tune, but it also leaves that plenty of space for any person to fill in the blanks with their own story, which I think is really the, like the trick of a killer, like any kind of popular music vocal is to, you know, it's similar with like, you look, you, read any story that has like a hero's journey going on a lot of these stories the main character themselves is a little bit bland in the way like the all the supporting cast has these strong archetypes but a lot of the times the main character will be a little bit bland and or not even bland but like you'll there's there's that opening for the reader to put themselves into the main character's shoes and i think that you know, when you're presenting the world with a, with a vocal and a story like that, even in the song, that's still something that's really important and powerful to do. Invite, invite the listener or the reader to put themselves right into the center stage and experience this as if it were their life. True. You're blowing my mind now. I'm thinking about, I know you <laughs> You've made some really eloquent points. I I think that that is such like a like beautiful, but like really difficult thing. It's almost one of those things that like if you sat down with the intention to make this like really intensely technical duality 
of like a lyric. Like it doesn't seem as like genuine. Like the the songs, like like you said, you started writing that that song. Tell me, and you realized as you were like going through writing that like. Wow, like this actually has more meaning than I intended. And you leaned into that a little bit, right? But you didn't set out like, I'm going to write a song for everyone and one person at the same time. It's going to have all these crazy dualities. Like it didn't really start like that. Um, So it's really beautiful when you can actually land on a piece of music that accomplishes that eloquently, you know? Um, Yeah, I I wanted to touch on the fact that like, you know, your your earlier EPs, they were like, you know, to get the dance floor moving, the heads bobbing. Now we've kind of delved into a bit more of like the emotional side, the the vulnerable side of the newer records, which still retain, you know, a dance music flair. You know, I would liken it to almost like a like a cone sound that started very, very heavy, very like sound design intensive and have have gone into a more melodic direction, but still retained like the the interesting sound design flair. Um, do, do you see do you see an album coming in the near future, or or any continued larger body of work that incorporates that that sound exploration exploration from you at large, or where do you see yourself taking this sound in the future? One of the big things that's been on my mind is. Um, is what I want to happen at, at like my, a concert of mine that is like my pinnacle, like all of my different facets of my artistry, like forced into one like hour long or 90 minute long performance. And what would that look like? And, um, I think it's very, it's going to be very prevalent with vocals, both singing, um, like traditional kind of like acoustic singing, if you will, also some like very digitally altered singing, very inspired by like um, uh, vocal synth. I think the plugin is called and like a bunch of other tools like that. And, um, and then I think that kind of will bridge into some more like hip hop and like rap oriented stuff um, that I'm influenced by that kind of utilizes that side of vocal, like digital vocal production. Think about like Travis Scott and um, Kanye West are like two really big examples of that, but tons of other like artists, underground artists um, that are kind of on like the cutting edge of that. And I think exploration of that, uh, like sound designing with my voice and sound designing with my instruments rather than um, the source sound coming from an oscillator, like a synthesizer. I think that's going to be a next big step. Um, cause I have long since felt like if you play the instrument, you don't get the take for free, you get the vibe for free. But if you like synthesize or sequence something, you get the take for free cause you can sequence it perfectly, but you have to work for the vibe. Right. And so I feel like I've very much been on the ladder of the two, like sequencing and synthesizing and using MIDI um, to generate source sounds. And now I want to see how much of like a vibe I can capture now that I'm like confidently have like hiked up Mount Perfect, yeah. like we were talking about <laughs> earlier and put my flag down. Like w- what can I do to just be more experimental and, um, and like Luke, what you were saying a minute ago, kind of like just resonate with people on a human level first, rather than resonating with people that understand like, acoustics and synthesis and are down to like nerd out and listen to EPROM and G Jones and be like, bro, did you hear that 
fill that he did on bar 48 that only happens one time in the song, recognizing that like my mom doesn't know anything about that or care about it at all. And I like also want to write something still that's true to me, but to all of the non-bass music, non-producer, uh, like people that are close to me in my community, that they have a reason to care about it. And I think that the voice is the universal instrument. So I can see that being a big center of that live concert experience. Because I want all of my friends and fans and family and everyone to be able to have a reason to like pay attention for an hour and like have a good time. Even if it gets kind of like weird and psychedelic and trippy at times, they might have to like bear with that moment when I'm like also trying to have some sick drop in one of my songs because that's something that really resonates me and and some part of my community. Um, But knowing that another part of that concert might be me like taking all of the beats and all of the sounds out and just singing and playing piano. That's dope, bro. Like, honestly, I feel like that's a trend that's, that's happening, you know, in, you know, a lot of different ways, but across music right now, like one, just the fact that it's been a quarantine for a hot minute and people haven't been getting to go out to ragers. A lot of people, I mean, like shit, Zed's dead, just put out a like down tempo chill out album. Like, you know, like uh, Ill Gates was saying a lot of the same things you're saying when he was on our podcast saying that his next project He's like kind of building a set of rules for himself where every sound he uses either has to come through a microphone or a hardware synth instead of using so many digital things. So like you said, capture that vibe and that realness instead of getting to climb out perfection. And I I think, uh, what do you see as, you know, like the future of your music um, moving forward? Like, do you think you're just going to keep keep going in that direction? I know it's not easy to answer always like where where you're gonna go because you might take a hard left at some point but you know do you do you think you're gonna keep going in that direction get more organic with it you know more you know more appealing to different fans of different kinds of genres i think that stylistically um genre or subgenre or kind of like soundscapes i i anticipate a lot of change over the coming years and a lot of like experimentations Um, But back to the lyrical continuity we were talking about earlier, I think that's my focus is to create like just using written word and language and lyricism to create a common thread of like a universe and some recurring concepts and characters and stuff that are sort of like the things that I talk about. And I think that um, that'll probably be the common thread rather than me um, like always making dance floor bangers or like taking a sidestep for an EP to write some more like vulnerable down tempo sounding stuff. I think I'm just going to catch a different vibe and want to do a bunch of different stuff. And this is like so corny to say, but the, the quote that comes to mind is from the uh, lead singer of offspring. I remember like an MTV interview with him back in the day. They had all these aggressive punk songs and then they put out pretty fly for a white guy. And I think the interview question was like, how do you go from like political punk to this? And his answer, which I just remember as a kid being like, so acceptable to me is he was like, I just do what I feel when I feel it. And when I feel like being goofy, I want everyone to be okay with the fact that I'm going to get on stage and be goofy. And when I want to be serious, I want everybody to like shut the fuck up and get serious with me for a second. And so I, I really like appreciate that honesty and, and kind of just the like authenticity of some like split personality uh, stuff going on there and um, kind of resonate with that as well. So Right now, it's all like harmony driven, vocal driven, 
like granulator synthesis, mud pies, ad hoc approach, like, you know, shouts to um, Ill Gates and like Mr. Bill and a lot of the ways that they're chopping up samples and their tutorials have like really shaped my understanding of like what's possible when you take your sound design to the max and get really, really crazy and intricate with it. But then also at the same time, shouts to guys like Andrew Huang, who are showing everybody that you can just take a really, really simple, very minimal sounding uh, synth patch and a voice and make something that is like just as emotionally impactful as like the crazy super advanced Amen. thing. So, yo, and bro, like great, great way to wrap this all up, I think, man. I think that really puts a bow on this whole conversation, man. Like, very, very well said, man. So I just want to make sure we give you a chance to let the people know where they can find you and follow you. And humans, go follow this guy, Torbjorn, because I'm really looking forward to what his next uh, his next endeavor sound like. Men's is hot. Men's is hot. So yeah. Beatsbytor.com, at Beatsbytor, everywhere. Um, got music coming out later this year uh all of the songs including some of the remixes from uh tell me seen a ghost liked you better and a few other unreleased ones are coming out on an ep uh later in like the late spring early summertime i'm um, getting some final mix downs and putting stuff together for that um i'm on uh instagram every day just like talking about my life and my uh creative process and trying to be as open with all of my information as possible i also teach ableton part-time at uh, an arts high school here in Tacoma. And so my ethos is like, the more people know everything that I know, the more that we're going to be, as a community, be able to put our region of the world like on a map with uh, the art and the music we like. So anything that I do that anyone wants to know, like DM me. Um, I'll definitely make time to just tell you whatever I know and you know, send you stems, send you samples, whatever you need. If I can make time for that, that is going to help you become a better artist. Um, I'm just trying to lead by example because I hope everyone will do that for each other and we'll all just achieve our dreams and be the best artists we can be and all go on a world tour. It'll be great. Amen to that. Love it. Well, on that note, humans, go follow Torbjorn. And this is the Human Music Podcast saying peace. And of course, peace among worlds. <laughs>well humans highly appreciate y'all being here shouts to torbjorn at beats by tour if you want to go follow him on them socials follow us at the human music podcast or at human music pod if you're over on twitter make sure you hit that subscribe smash the like hit the share button you know what i'm saying make sure you leave us a comment a rating a review let us know how we're doing and help us get out to more cool producers just like you all right, shouts to all of our sponsors. The weekly download where you can learn from Ill Gates in his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 220 more episodes in the vault. Just 20 bucks a month and you get to be a part of the Producer Dojo community. It's an amazing place to be. I guarantee it. Uh, guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake himself over at the Approach Institute, the best engineer we know. Get those super high-level engineering and mastering skills from one of the best to ever do it. The first class guest practices, by the way, is free. Make sure you go see what's up. 
Finally, Gangaroo Records Music Distribution. Get unlimited uploads to all the streaming services for under $10 without any of the rigmarole and BS and extra hidden fees that a lot of these other guys do to you. So, get your tunes to all the goons with Gangaroo. Now, we'll be back next week with a fun episode that's just the three of us, but we get into some real fun topics. So, make sure you hop on and get in there with us. We appreciate y'all humans. And as always, I'm Luke Rain saying peace and peace among worlds. Ha <laughs> ha. I like it. <laughs>